Welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Podcast. We're a real community of people who are passionate about pursuing God and growing in our relationship with Him. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit northridge.org.au. Have you ever been in a situation where you've just navigated a really big thing and it was huge, it was hard, it was hard work, you got to the end and thought, oh great, it's done. Uh, you trusted God, you worked hard, you endured the challenges, you felt like the job was done and complete, and then just around the corner, boom! It's like something else happened. It's like, oh, I thought it was done. Yeah? Maybe that's happened to you, where that's, that's been a situation where you've been in, where you just thought you'd, you'd gone through something, and then it just... It just felt like it's come back and what you thought was done wasn't done and there's more to do. Uh, 22 years ago, uh, Kath and I, we had this opportunity to go to Canada to do a church planning school with a vineyard in Vancouver. And uh, at that point, we had an 18-year-old son called Sam, 18-month-old son <laughs> called Sam, that, made, that makes Sam 40. He's, he's pretty good looking for 40. Uh, pretty, he's holding his eyes really well. Now, now, Sam at that particular point was, was 18 months. Our daughter Beth was four-ish. Um, and we, at, at that point, we had discovered that Sam had a medical condition that was pretty big. And we, at that point, it felt like we really couldn't go to Canada because we just felt like it was going to be too big for us to be in a foreign country with a whole new medical system, um, with not a whole lot of people that we knew around us. And we thought, all right, Lord, we just felt like we couldn't go um, with Sam in that position. And then about six months um, before we left, it, it, it seemed that God had healed Sam. We went to the doctor, he took a lot of it to do with his blood, and so we took numbers of blood tests, and what, we, what Sam had been struggling with seemed to have been completely restored. His bloods were great, he was healthy, um, and we thought, oh, this is wonderful. God has healed Sam, and so we then uh, prepared to move to Canada. And so we packed up home, uh, put it all in... Uh, storage, did all the bits that we needed to do. We actually had to get visas because we were being, um, uh, we were Im- immigrating to Canada, so we became permanent residents in Canada. So we went through that whole process, paid all the money, did the whole thing, bought the tickets, cashed in our superannuation, and moved to Vancouver. And so we were pretty pumped. It was an exciting time. It, it gave us an opportunity uh, for us to. Uh, do some training. We were joining a vineyard over there. They were running this school of, of church planting with a whole bunch of other people from sort of the lower mainland in Vancouver. So a bunch of it. So we were meeting a whole bunch of other people there, and we were pretty excited. And so uh, off we went in the plane, got there, and within a week of us arriving, Sam got this illness um, that was quite unusual for an 18-month-old boy to get. And then when we had his blood tested, he had what we thought had been healed in his life. 
and he had it again. His bloods were down. His white blood cell count was poor. And we thought, we thought it was done. We thought God had healed Sam, that we'd done all the bits and that we were free to be here. And then, boom, right in our face, we thought, what, what's just happened? So we were now doing what we never wanted to do. We didn't want to come to Canada and have to navigate a hospital system. We didn't want to come to Canada. And what we realised also is that even though we had immigrated, the health system that in Australia funds stuff here, you know, we weren't eligible for that for six months. And so we were then having to go into hospital and see doctors and have zero medical cover. And so we were like, oh my goodness God, we thought we had done this. Well, tonight we are going to look at the story, well, we're continuing the story of the Exodus, of the people of God, of the nation of Israel, uh, in a way coming out of Egypt. And so where have we got to? A bit of recap. So up to chapter 13, we got to the point where um, God's mighty powers had been on display. Remember, we've spoken about the, the ten plagues that came. So what we've known, we've understood that the people of God were in, um, in Egypt for 400 years. They'd grown from this family unit of around 100 people. 400 years later, they are now a million people. But for the last 400 years, they have been living in slavery. They have grown so big that the pharaoh of Egypt, who's obviously changed a few times over those 400 years, was so frightened of them as a people group that he put them in slavery and basically got them to build Egypt. And so they were told, you know, do this, make bricks, build, you know, bring stones, and they built all, the, all sorts of bits and pieces there. And, um, and they, as a people had obviously begun to cry out to God, but I suspect after 400 years, they had probably just stopped crying out to God because after 400 years of, in a way, no response, they were probably feeling a tad despondent about God's response to their cries. But then, as we've known... Um, Moses arrives on the scene, miraculously comes, he, um, he escapes in, a cell, in, in his own right from being murdered by the, by the Pharaoh and then he grows up in the Pharaoh's household, which is again a bit of a miracle, and then discovers that he has a heart to save the people of Israel. Stuff happens and then anyway... He's, he's now 80 years old. God calls him in and they, we see these 10 plagues that we've read through and the Pharaoh gets to this point where he is so challenged by the God of, of Moses that he says, go. And so off they go. They leave Egypt and they don't just leave, they leave plundering Egypt. Do you know what I mean by that? So God gave them the opportunity to go to all the houses of the Egyptians around them and say, give us your gold and silver. And they were so because all the houses of Egypt, other than the Israelites, had suffered the, the death of their firstborn. 
And so they're like, we are so glad that you Israelites are getting out of Egypt because what's ne- what could possibly happen next? Maybe God, your God's going to kill us all. So get out of Egypt. The Pharaoh get, kicks them out and they not only leave with all their families, but they also leave with the, the, the gold and silver of Egypt as well. And so can you imagine after being growing up in slavery, you're being given your freedom, you'd be pretty pumped, wouldn't you? You'd be like, woo we're going, we're leaving this life of slavery, we're going to have a good time, and they, they've got all this gold, they've got their families, and they're free, and off they go. And you know what? As a slave, you didn't have the weekends off to go on holiday, so you didn't really know what was outside Egypt. You didn't know that there was this sea or how other things around there because all you'd grown up is in your house working seven days a week working for Pharaoh. So you had no idea what was out there. And so Moses now leads the people and off he goes. And I want to start reading from... Uh, Exodus 14, verse 5. We're going to put it up on the screen. And so what we've got is that we've got God going with them now, this God of Moses. And you also got to appreciate here that they didn't really know much about the God of Moses. They knew that they were the Israelites. They'd heard about their history because at that point they would have been told through stories, through their families, about the past. But they didn't really know God, did they? They'd heard about him, they'd heard what he'd done, but now this mighty God has shown up and shown his hand in a really powerful way, and off they go. So from verse 5, this is what it says. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Oh dear, our builders have run away. So so he had his chariot uh, made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so uh, that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. And the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, Horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near hard place opposite another hard place. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them and they were terrified and called out to the Lord. Now, what I've just done through what you're saying this again, I'm just highlighting some things just to take note of um, as we go through because I want to come back and just pick, pick some of these points up as we go. So, um, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us up from the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites 
to move on, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go after you and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, so remember the angel of the Lord was displayed as what? pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. So this very presence of God had already been travelling with them. The angel of the Lord who had been travelling in front of the army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. This is an incredible scene. You've got a million people all gathered, freaking out. You've got this army of Egypt, and they do armies rather well. And between them is this cloud representing the very presence of God. On one side of the cloud is light, and on the other side is absolute darkness. I mean, it's insane what is going on right here. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Have you ever been to the, uh, the aquarium? When I don't know, I've been to one where this there was a, like a five metre high sheet of glass, and behind it was this just sea of sea life. You know, the sharks and all the fish, and it was just there, and you were like standing in front of it and looking up and seeing all this sort of ocean view right in front of you. Now, I'm pretty glad that between me and that that ocean of sea life was about an inch of glass. That was pretty good. The Israelites had this both sides, but it wasn't glass. It was just God holding that water there. Feeling good, huh? Great view. Let's go and look at the aquarium today, kids. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the cloud, uh, during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord, said, uh, the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and the horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. 
the Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Pretty wild, huh? Now, I know for many of us who've grown up in the church, that's been a story that we've heard uh, a whole bunch of times. But it, uh, it's good to go back and remember what an amazing story. I feel like what the, the Lord was doing at that time was uh, God was now revealing himself to this people. They hadn't known of God, they hadn't known what he was like, and now God was showing up and revealing himself to the people. And so God had some things that he wanted to teach them. And I think as we look at this passage, I think there's things that God wants to teach us as well. Um, I wonder, we are all in the middle of a journey and in some way you're here tonight because God has invaded your world somehow. Now, it might have happened a long time ago, it might have happened recently, but we're here because God touched our lives and part of why we're here, part of why we, do, why we continue to do church is to discover more of who this God is and what it's like to follow him. And likewise, the Israelites, God had touched their lives in a profound way and he wanted to reveal more of himself to them so that they could be people who would trust God more for what lay ahead. So, what did he want to teach them? Well, the first thing is God knows what he's doing. From a big picture perspective, God had a plan for the Israelites. He'd promised them before they'd even left Egypt that he wanted to take them out of captivity and into a place, a promised place, a promised land, a land which wasn't like this one, a land that was, he, they spoke about it, flying with milk and honey and others, a land of God's provision and his protection and God's abundance. And so he had a plan for them. And even though they stood in the front of a, this massive sea with their enemies fast approaching them, God had a plan to completely destroy their enemies and to completely save them. And so as much as God knew what he was doing right then, God knows what he's doing right now in our lives. God looks at our life, he looks at it, it says, um, it says in the word that God knew us before time began. He knew our life, he knew the day of our birth, he knows the day of our death and every day in between. And he has this plan for us 
to watch over us, to draw us to a place where he is present and can be with us forever. And he wanted them to know that. He wanted them to know that God knows what he's doing, even when they came to this foot of this sea, to this edge of this sea, and thought, my goodness, where are we going? And they're wondering about that. So the first thing, God knows what he's doing. The second thing is, God leads the way. God's presence was, was with them. He establishes, like, um, it'd be really interesting if you walked into work one day in this cloud of fire or cloud, this pillar of cloud just followed you, and they're like, what's the cloud? Oh, it's God. He's there. And then at night time, as you get off the train, you're walking home, and, and it's this pillar of fire just goes with you. Like, you would make an impression. But we need to be reminded, as they needed to be reminded, that God was with them. And so we have this amazing picture of God's presence with them. In, in chapter 13, it says this, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light. So his presence was there to provide for them, to both guide them and protect them, and to give them light at night time. And so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. That sense of God's presence with them, no matter what, God wasn't going anywhere. In, in uh, Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So as much as he wanted to let them know that he was going to be with them, God wants to remind us that he is with us. For Jesus to say to us, I am with you. I'm not leaving you no matter what you feel like, what your circumstance, I am there. And sometimes the way that the Lord leads us is not the way we expect. Psalm 77 verse 19 says this, The road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. God was going to lead them, but he took them on a path that they didn't know was there. They never knew when they got to the edge of that sea that the path that the Lord wanted them to follow was right in front of them, but they couldn't see it. That makes sense. Rob spoke about this this morning uh, in the morning community. And as I finished reading the psalm that he read, I saw this and I thought, that is really interesting. Because sometimes if we're trusting God to lead us his way, Sometimes we're going to get to a way that we didn't know was there. We thought, wow, I didn't know that the path that you wanted me to walk on was actually here. I never saw that before. And it happened for the Israelites. Like, like it was known that the quickest way to get to the promised land was one way, but God led them another way and they didn't know that it was there. And so I want to challenge us that as God leads us, I wonder whether sometimes you have got to a place and thought, wow, I never thought the path was this way. And maybe in the future, God may take you to a place and you're like, wow, I didn't know that the way was going to look like this. But it was God's way, so I'm trusting him with it. 
Anyway, C. Obstacles for us seem to be opportunities for God. They get to the sea, and in verse 10 it says, they were terrified and cried out to God. So we see some things as obstacles, don't we? It may be circumstances, it may be money, it may be resources, it may be opportunities, and we think, you know, maybe things that we sort of get in our way and we see them as obstacles. But God has a way of turning obstacles into opportunities, doesn't He? He looks at, he, if, if God is leading the way, then, then He is going to turn what we consider an obstacle into an opportunity. And a lot of the opportunity is about the revelation of God. Because I feel like my life, in all the years that I've known God, has been constant opportunities where I've got to know more and more about who God is. And God was doing that. He wanted to... Um, it's interesting. Somebody has said, it was easy to get the, the Israelites out of Egypt, but it was much harder to get Egypt out of the Israelites. You know what I mean? That there was, there was something that God was doing to help people, in a way, stop, understand, well, to, to bring into their understanding an understanding of who this God was rather than the, the gods that they had witnessed in Egypt. And so God had this process. And so, verse 13, Moses answers the people, Do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring upon you today. In other words, this was an opportunity that they were going to see more about who God was. That God, he delivered them out of Egypt in a mighty way and now he was going to completely rescue them. And they were going to see it right before their eyes that day and God's glory was going to be revealed. So, the next thing is that we are, in a way, called or challenged not to focus on the problem but to trust in the Lord. God wanted them to learn to trust him no matter what it looked like on the outside. In verse 14, it said this, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And it's interesting, because then in verse 15, it says, move. And it's like, wait a minute. In one verse, he's saying, be still. And the next verse, he's saying, move. Well, what do you want? Well, Sometimes I think the stillness that God wants us to have is not so much about what we do outside, but what we do inside. Do you know what I mean? I think what Moses needed them to do was not so much not move, but to still their fear. Yeah? And sometimes as we're moving, as we're journeying with God, and we get to this circumstance, and stuff comes up inside, doesn't it? We start wondering, oh, Lord, what are you doing? I'm not too sure. I'm frightened, or this, or this, or this. And all, these, all this stuff stirs within us, and there's like turmoil within, in a way matching maybe the turmoil outside. But then Moses said to the people, be still. You've probably heard a similar verse in Scripture that says, be still and know that I'm God. Have you heard that one before? And so God is saying, it's not about stop moving. It's about this sense of a peace that God wants to bring within. And so he wanted to teach this nation that even though he wanted them to move, literally, 
that there could be a place of stillness within that was an important part of them discovering who God was. Because when we forget to trust God, stillness doesn't exist. But when we trust God, then stillness comes. Because that peace comes. It's like, all right, Lord, okay, you've got it. So that goes on to us seeing what happens here. Moses says in verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. The importance of prayer. Now, we call it prayer. What was happening in that particular time is that Moses and God were talking. Now, when we have God and somebody talking, we call that prayer. Okay, And so what what he also wanted to teach the people were to be a people who would inquire of God and listen to what he asked them to do. They're standing, and you know how you know, we we're talking about the whole aquarium thing, right? They're standing on this seashore, right? It is actually nighttime that God starts taking them through. But, so they've got this pillar of fire, and as they look ahead, they see, do they see the other side? No. How much do they see? Well, a pillar of fire, I mean, I can't sort of go, boo, here's a pillar of fire, let's experience what it looks like. But I suspect that it gave them a view of where they were going to walk. But they saw these two walls of water, either side of this path. Now, I'm not too sure about you. At the aquarium, I'm pretty cool. When you go to the Sydney Aquarium, you know how you do the, the tunnel thing? How many of you feel a little bit apprehensive about doing that tunnel thing? Have you ever had a bit like, eh, it's like over and it's in, and if that cracks, like I'm history, you know, there's a bit of apprehension about doing that walk, even though it's been tested and great engineers like myself probably designed it. Um, and, or, or, and so they're looking down there and they're going, well, where's the glass, Lord? Where's the structural support over this, holding this water back? No, guys are saying, I've got it. And so can you imagine... I don't think they would have felt particularly excited about doing that walk across the sea. What do you reckon? I think it would have been a little bit of a challenge. And so here's Moses, here's the Lord and Moses having this chat, and he's saying, Guys, stop talking, start walking. And so there's this sense that, that what God wanted to develop in them is this attitude of listening to the Lord and obeying what he was asking them to do. And in fact, as we read more into Exodus, you'll probably hear, I don't know whether we're going to be specifically teaching on this, but the, the movement of the cloud was an indication of whether they would walk or stop. So when God wanted them to stop, the cloud would stop. When God wanted them to move, the cloud would move. And so here's God saying to them, it's time to move. It's time to walk. And, and so off they go. So they learn what it is to listen to the Lord. And I think that's what God is calling us to do, is to learn to be people who pray, who, like just what Pete said tonight, let's be people who pray. And it's not just... It's not just, oh, you've got to talk to God, but there's also this profound sense of listening. It's a communication of going, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Sometimes God tells us to stop, and sometimes God tells us to go, yeah? And it's being people 
who want to hear the voice of the Lord and follow what he's asking of us to do. And so that is also what God is teaching us. So the Lord has given us his spirit. And so this is different. We live in this profound time. Back then, the only way that people heard the Lord was through the person who the Lord was speaking to. And so the people had to believe Moses because Moses is the one the Lord spoke to. We live in this time now where God has put his spirit within each of us as we give our lives to Jesus. And so the voice of God, the direction of God is now available not just to some holy person in the corner, but to every one of us. God speaks to every one of us. He speaks through his word. He, he speaks through others. He speaks through that inner voice that's within. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks profoundly and prophetically through different scenarios. God is a God who speaks. And so the spirit of, the spirit of God is called the spirit of truth. He's called counselor. He's called guide. He's called the light to lead us. So God has given us the, himself, his very self to dwell within us, to be, to be our guide, for, for us to follow, for us to hear. And I think as God's people, we live in this extraordinary time right now where God is right there. We don't have to look for a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. We just have to stop and, and realize that God himself dwells within us. And he is there to bring truth and direction and light to our lives. How amazing is that? I mean, a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire, don't get me wrong, that would be pretty cool. That would be very cool. People would go, okay. So, the importance of prayer of listening to God. The next thing is, is we obey, God acts. Now, a lot of the time, so, so what happens? Verse 21, 22. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night God drove back the sea with an east wind, and it turned to dry land. The waters were divided. The Israelites went through and dry ground, and water water on its side. Moses stretched out his hand, and God acts. We often like it the other way around. We go, God, could you do something really profound, and then I'll believe? How often maybe have people said, I want God to show me, like prove to me that you're the bee's knees and then I'll believe or then I'll respond. God, could you just sort all this stuff out and then I'll follow? But it seems that that's just not the way it works. Faith is about acting when we don't know. Faith is acting when we doubt. Sometimes, you know what, we are not sure. We doubt God. We, we're unsure whether he'll come to the rescue or, or whether he'll show up. Faith is acting despite our doubt. And I know that everyone in this room, we have all had doubts. I've had doubts. And sometimes doubts can cripple us can hold us back and stop us from taking that step. And God is saying, if you're going to be people of faith, remember it says in Scripture, without faith it's impossible to please God. In other words, we can't connect with the Lord if we're not going to act in faith. 
And it's amazing. Even Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Because he said, remember Thomas? Remember had, he had all that issue with Thomas? And Thomas had spent all this time with Jesus. And he's going, oh, unless I see it, I'm not believing. Come on now, show me, show me. And, and God, Jesus turns up to Thomas and said, buddy, come on, it's time to believe. And then he says in that context, blessed are those who don't see me, like us, and who still believe. So we are a blessed people. Jesus looks at us and goes, you haven't seen the physical Jesus Christ and yet you believe in me. Well, you're a blessed person, that your faith is stirred. And so here it is, God is teaching his people to go, you know what, obey what I ask you to do and then I'm going to act. And so sometimes we're not sure, but God's saying, as you take that step of faith, now, that step of faith may be for some of us here who are still exploring God. It may be go, you know what, Lord, I want to believe you. I want to trust in you for this circumstance. And then God shows up. He backs our faith. That's what God was showing. Moses acted. He com- Like, you know what? Now, Moses has had the experience of doing a few things before. But Moses gets to this point on the edge of the sea and going, all right, Lord, I... I I can't see the road ahead. What do we do? And the Lord says, well, just lift up your hand and strike and I will sort it. Did Moses have any idea what was going to happen? I'm not too sure he did. I, all he knows is that he had, it's interesting, he had got to a point, even though when he was first called, he was such a bit of a doubter, going, God, surely you've got somebody else to do this, not me. But he has now got to a point where he knows all he has to do is obey the Lord and then God will act. And that's what he does. And I think that's what the Lord is calling us to be people like that. Yeah. The last one. God is a God of miracles. Verse 31 says this. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and, his, and in Moses, his servant. Once again, God miraculously saves his people. And it actually won't be the last. Now, I don't know about you, but I think God acts miraculously all the time. We needed saving. We needed saving. All of us, all of humanity needs a saviour. We all grow up in this situation of living for ourselves, we're doing our own thing, and unknowingly we are heading to disaster. And God knows it, and we don't really know it. And then Jesus shows up. His birth, miraculous. Holy Spirit comes on Mary... She gets the bub, and we have Jesus. And then all these other miracles are happening all around him. He's a worker of miracles. He comes and displays the very power of God. And, uh, and then he invites us and says, I want to save you. And so we have an amazing saviour, a miracle-working God, and that's the God that Moses believed in 
when they crossed the Red Sea. Um, I want to finish there and then just see what the Lord wants to do. One of the things I felt like the Lord said to me is that as much as the Israelites got to that, in a way, that precipice. Now, I don't know the geography of the, the, the Red Sea, but obviously there's a walking down to the bottom of the sea and then there's a walking up. But I had a feeling that, that as the people stood on that shore and they looked out at what they're about to walk into, they had to step. God opened the door. The way they were going to get, the way they were going to be rescued, is that they had to take that step, didn't they? They had to walk off what they knew, the sand of the desert, and start walking down into the bottom of this sea, as God, in a, an amazing way, was holding this sea back for them. And I just felt like um, that maybe there's there's people here who are like, I'm on this precipice in a way of launching into something that I'm really trusting God for. And maybe I think they walked in a little frightened, a little apprehensive and going, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I think I would have been saying that, that prayer. You know that prayer? Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. It's a fairly simple prayer. <laughs> Should we just practice that right now? Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, you know, and they needed to take that first step. And I think there may be some guys here who are about to take, or are on that precipice, in where they are at the moment, and going, oh God, oh God, oh God, can you give me faith to believe that you're going to be with this, with me, in this journey? And maybe there's some things that also, that, uh, that sometimes we forget, that we have a God who is determined to rescue us. As much as he was determined to rescue this people, this million people walking in the desert, he was determined to do everything they needed to be rescued. God feels the same thing about us. He has and will continue to do everything we need to be rescued. That's the nature of our God. Why don't we stand? I want to pray. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing God and that you love rescuing your people. Now, I, I feel like I want you to just, as your eyes are closed, just uh, maybe just picture yourself on the side of this sea, opened up before you. I'm not too sure how good your imagination is imagining what those Israelites felt that day. Maybe imagine yourself right there. You've got your family, the people that you love right next to you. You've got Moses pointing the way. You've got this phenomenal scene in front of you. How do you feel right now? How do you feel about what God is asking you to do? And you, we've all got the rest of our lives ahead of us. We don't know what it brings. We have, a, we have a light that shows us a little bit, but there's a whole lot of our life that we can't see.
We don't know what will come. And I just feel like the Lord is standing next to every one of you right now. And he senses what you're feeling. He knows what's going on right now in your mind as you're looking ahead. Now, some of you uh, have fear. Some of you have enormous excitement. Some of you are feeling uh, challenged by what lies ahead. Some of you are incredibly you know, blessed by what God has done already and know that he's going to be there. Just listen to him as he speaks over your life and what, what you're feeling right now. Just let him speak to you. And the picture I have is, is Jesus walking down sort of the bank of the sea and I'm still perched on the edge and he looks back at me and says, Phil, come on, let's do this together. And I think he says exactly the same to so many of you here. Let's do this together. And he looks at me in the eye and he reaches out his hand and it's like nothing else matters because my eyes are on Jesus. Oh, Father, I pray that, that we would know as we walk ahead, Lord, that you're the, right there next to us and that we can trust you.